Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Hey, this is Mark. And before we start this episode, I wanted to let you in on a little secret and then ask you a question. A very big milestone is rapidly approaching here at Entree Architect Podcast. Episode 100. It's only a few weeks away. I cannot believe it. 100 episodes. And I want to make that episode a very special one. I want to make that episode, episode 100, the best one yet. So here's my idea. On episode 100, I want to feature the best guest yet. I want to feature you, the Entree Architect community. So here is your mission, should you choose to accept it. Click on your voice memo app. On the iPhone, you'll find that voice memo app in the utilities group, along with your calculator and your compass. And I'm not sure where you'll find it on your Android, but I know that Android has a voice memo app as well. So click on to, to that voice memo app, hold the phone up to your mouth like you're speaking on the telephone in order to ensure a clean, crisp recording, and record your answer to this question. What is the one thing that you did this year to improve your business, your leadership, or your life? Share what you know. I want you to share what you know. Share one tip, one technique, a system, or a suggestion that made your world a little bit better this year. So record your answer to that question. What is the one thing that you did this year to improve your business, your leadership, or your life? And email the audio file. It's very easy. Trust me. Just go to the the uh, the voice memo app, and it's super easy. Email that audio file to me at support at entrearchitect.com. 
And if you take, take just a few minutes to do this right now, before listening to this episode, episode 100 will be the best episode yet. I can't wait to hear your voice on the Entree Architect podcast. This is the Entree Architect podcast, episode 94. Welcome back to the Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm, whether you're in the process of launching a startup, or you might be an experienced small firm architect just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. We are living at an amazing time. We are living at a time when massive paradigm-shifting technologies are being introduced to us every day. Change is happening so rapidly. New technologies are going to change the way we practice and how we run our businesses and how we live our lives. Reach into your pocket and pull out that iPhone and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Do you remember what it was like before we had the knowledge of the entire world in our pocket? These changes in developments in technology will provide new opportunities to the profession as a whole and to us as individual independent architects. This week on the Entree Architect podcast, I welcome back a former guest and a friend of the show, George Valdez, to discuss the consequences of technology on the profession of architecture. This episode of the Entree Architect podcast is sponsored by ArcaSnapper, a great way to create and manage field reports. Learn more at entrearchitect.com slash ArcaSnapper. And FreshBooks, the easiest way to send invoices, manage expenses, and track your time. Learn more at freshbooks.com slash architect. George Valdez, welcome back to the Entrepreneur Architect podcast um it's good to have you here yeah great to be back mark you uh joined us before back on episode 86 so if anybody's interested in sort of checking that out uh let me just give you a quick uh reintroduction to george george is currently based in new york city and he is the vice president of product at iris vr that is uh, a company that's dedicated to to sort of bringing virtual reality to reality in the uh, in the architecture and engineering and construction industries. He's also the co-founder of Built-In, the architecture and entrepreneurship meeting. It's the largest meetup in New York City devoted to fostering entrepreneurship which in within these industries. Um, again, you can check out George's full story at, back at episode 86. That's entrepreneur, uh, entrearchitect.com slash episode 86. And last time we talked about virtual reality and how that specific technology is going to impact and is impacting the profession. So before we get into our conversation today, I'd, I'd love, George, for you to sort of bring us up to speed. You were fresh uh, and new at Iris when we spoke last. Uh, that was a few months ago. And so 
I'd love to sort of know how things are going there and any of your your current thoughts or developments since we last spoke. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, so I'm now kind of getting um, into the swing of things. Um, over the past two months, it's been really interesting demoing the product to various large offices and going to different events and and seeing how people are reacting to to the product and also getting feedback from our existing user base. Um, what's been very interesting from looking at the data is that more and more firms are starting to have these Oculus Rifts in-house and more than one. Um, which just, just go back and describe what, what an Oculus Rift is. So, so an Oculus Rift is uh, a device that um, was, the first version of it was invented by I think a then 16 or 17 year old Lucky Palmer. Um, he uh, he came up with this hardware device that basically helped to solve a problem in VR, which had to do with nausea. Um, so basically, the device was at a point where it could, and mobile phones were at a point where you can actually experience, um, um, you know, VR experiences without much lag. And um, that kind of innovation led to it being bought by Facebook. Um, I think in the one billion range, um, just about a couple of years ago, maybe two, two or three years ago. Um, so the device itself is pretty. It's it's in a second stage. It's the called uh, the DK2, the development kit, too. Uh, also known, I think, as Crescent Bay. Uh, but the the new version, um, which should be released in uh, the first quarter of of um, of next year is going to have a lot more improvements and they've announced that the price range is going to be above uh, probably around the $400 range or above 350 for sure. Um, but anyway, the the device itself is really interesting because it leverages um, a lot of different technologies to really give you immersion. I mean, you really and that's the kind of word that's being used a lot is the immersive quality of of it is is really impactful. And so at Iris um, we've leveraged that that um, that device along with other ones um, to pr give architects a way to get into their buildings in the pre-design, um, even all the way up to, I mean, we're seeing it being used all the way up to um, CA, uh, where people are validating that what's in the model is in what's actually being built. So um, it's really, really fascinating. The feedback that we keep getting is that this is, this is not just a marketing tool. Right. I mean, there's a lot of larger firms that have been exploring VR and they've been leveraging its capability as a way to sell to a client or to as a byproduct for the client that they can then sell to a potential buyer of a space or something like that. But what we realized what everyone's kind of coming to a conclusion is that there's going to be a new design tool um, that you can leverage on a day to day, a day to day to be able to model something, jump into into the space understand it, understand it's the, the, uh, the impact or the affects or effects that you've um, designed and then make edits. Um, the mo probably one of the most powerful kind of data points is that we're starting to get owners, large companies that um, uh, within pharma and other types of industries like that where they have their own internal construction teams and they keep um, uh, one interesting uh, phone call I had, I mean the term lean construction was brought up very frequently and the the notion is that this company wants is built a lot of facilities and they want to bring user groups in early on to make sure that what they build everyone has um, 
um, an understanding of what's going to get built. So the idea would be that once it gets built, they have to spend less time and money retrofitting their interior spaces because the buy-in happened very early on. Um, and so this notion of lean construction is very well suited for um, the kind of things that VR can afford. So you're, so you're only building what's absolutely necessary uh, and, and not building a, a, a super flexible space, but building a space that's customized for that specific client. Yeah, and just getting, I think the, the point is to get feedback early on in the process um, so that there's less waste downstream. Um, and by bringing in user groups, it's actually not unlike what happens in software development where you have people like we, like us, um, have a kind of, uh, uh, we have testers out there that are actually giving us feedback that we can then reiterate early on. And so that we build something that's closer to what people expect should be built or then that can work with. Um, with the current workflows, rather than us being design pro or in this case a, a product for months and months and months, and then putting it out there, and then nobody likes it, right? And we've we wasted so much time and effort and development resources on something that didn't meet the needs of the end user. Um, so I think lean construction is in very much the same. This, um, and for those listeners out there that have read even like the lean startup, a lot of the same type of concepts apply. Um, so I, I think that's, that's a, I mean, it, it, it's basically the, the development of where things are going is that you want to start eliminating waste from the entire process of construction because it is probably one of the most wasteful uh, industries that, that exists. So, I mean, virtual reality itself is, it, from what you're describing, is, is disrupting everything. It's disrupting the, the, design process it's disrupting the in a good way uh, and uh, the construction process in the sales process in the marketing process everything is shifting because you can actually see and and literally experience the space and the architecture before it's built yeah and, and you know we're even getting um you know people are really starting to project into this um interesting new ways of um vr so for instance, training. Um, if you're, if you're, uh, if you design retail spaces, um, a service that you might be able to provide for your end customer is that you can then help train their um, their employees on what the before the space is built using VR um, and things of that nature, where you can start to collect data from these users that end up using it. Um, provisionally so they can maybe do heat maps about where people are kind of walking or navigating through into different spaces um, it just opening it's just opening up a whole different way of thinking about space uh, that uh, we've we're just starting to kind of understand uh, I what I what I when I invited you back here I, w I was hoping that we we could sort of uh, broaden the the conversation beyond virtual reality and and talk about uh, other technologies, because in in that last conversation that we had, uh, we started doing that. We started talking about some of the uh, disruption and, and the consequences of technology on the profession and how those things are going to to change. I mean, we're we're living in a time of massive paradigm shifting technology. I mean, when you look at virtual reality and the potential that has, uh, it's going to change uh, potentially everything that we're doing. And and there's uh, it technology as as it progresses i mean if you look at the technology that's already 
uh, been brought to us and how, how much that's changed from drafting boards to CADs to BIM and, and beyond. It's, it's, it's changing the way we practice. It's changing the way we run our businesses. It's changing the way we live. And so I see these as, as um, uh, some people sort of push back on them because they're changed and they don't want to change. They like the way to do things the way they've always done them because there's a fear you have to learn these new ways of doing things. But I also see that there's a, a, a tremendous opportunity here for the profession that, that beyond the traditional model of architecture, these opportunities, if we are willing to, uh, to, to grasp them and take ownership of them, they could be the, the realm of the architect. And so um, what, what is your thought on that? I mean, that, that idea. Yeah, uh, I think there for every kind of innovation that's happening, there's probably an insane amount of opportunity associated with that from a business model perspective. Let's take a quick break here to say thank you to ArcaSnapper and FreshBooks for their support as platform sponsors of Entree Architect. Because as platform sponsors, these companies have provided funding and support for our overall mission to become an influential force in the profession of architecture. They recognize the need for small firms to build better businesses in order to be better architects. And I want to say thank you. ArcaSnapper is a simple tool for creating and managing field reports. With ArcaSnapper, architects draft field reports on-site using their phone or tablet. ArcaSnapper is easy to use and it saves a lot of time. I put ArcaSnapper to the test myself and I love it. Once I set it up and I understood all the features and how it works, it's become a part of my regular workflow at project meetings. I take notes, I shoot photos, I sketch my thoughts right on top of the photos, and it's all automatically uploaded to the cloud. Once I get back to the studio, I log in at my desktop, click a button, and my field report is ready to go. ArcaSnapper. Grow your business instead of struggling with field reports. If you want to learn more about ArcaSnapper and get a, th a free 30-day trial, visit entrearchitect.com slash ArcaSnapper. And FreshBooks. You've heard me over and over again say profit, then art. The systems are what make a difference in a well-functioning, profitable firm. Mastering some of the less creative tasks, like staying on top of our invoices and tracking our time, is a really crucial part of running our firms. And this is where FreshBooks, our friends and our platform sponsor, can help in a big way. FreshBooks is the amazingly simple invoicing solution perfectly suited for creative professionals who need to focus on their work and not their paperwork. Creating and sending invoices, tracking your time, and managing your expenses will become the easiest part of your day, and you'll probably end up wondering why you didn't start sooner. If you have questions, help is free, forever. And you can always count on FreshBooks award-winning support rock stars to go above and beyond whatever you need anytime. And I tested them myself. They answered my call on the first ring and I had my issue resolved within minutes. It was beautiful. To try FreshBooks free for 30 days, just go to freshbooks.com architect and enter Entree Architect in the how did you hear about us section. Uh, I think about big data and uh, I mean, I, I, try, I try to be more critical about the term, but um, in general, the, the notion that you can have a lot of data about um, in, in architecture about things and about both 
pre-design and then post in terms of post-occupancy can have incredible effects. Uh, one effect is that it gives this transparency into the entire system. So now you can, act, as a designer, you can actually put um, numbers behind the maybe not allegations, but the kind of the promises that you're making about um, about the work that you do. Whether it's that it's sustainable, whether that um, it has positive effects on the users. What you know, I mean, there's a lot of consultancies right now that are built around understanding workplaces. And things like that, but if we if we actually um, create uh, creatively um, these uh, understand that data, I think it will impact the entire industry. Uh, in many ways, is I think architects should be leading that front because if not, you're going to find other companies that will, and they might not be as sensible uh, sensible to the needs of a of um, they might not have that same kind of background that architects do, right? In terms of an education, so um, you can worry. I worry sometimes that other companies might have uh, might just not understand how to use that data appropriately. Uh, for instance, uh, big consulting firms, right? Like Accenture, McKinsey. Um, these companies are already moving into the domain of architects, whether it's that they're starting to do urban planning projects consultation on what it means to be a smart city, things of that nature that if architects get left out of the discussion, these companies have such brand value behind them in terms of solving business solutions, they could easily take over market the, the market uh, for, for certain size projects. So if, in general, architects, uh, the, the ability of all these platforms, one of, the, one of the key characteristics is that they democratize access meaning that architects aren't just privy to that data, other people are. And if it's a, it becomes a battle of who can communicate the value of that data um, to an end customer, an end client uh, better, and who, who can tie that to their business needs. Um, so in many ways, potentially what happens is that architects will start to become better, hopefully, at understanding clients and really start backing them, that up with evidence. Uh, in such a way that they can gain more trust and, in effect, more power and leverage um, over the long term. George, what are what are some ways? Because our audience is mostly small firm architects. Uh, what are some ways that small firms uh, can use some of these new technologies to sort of make their value as architects uh, a little more uh, appealing? Mm. For smaller firms, I think it's a matter of looking at what's out there and seeing how can it communicate, how different technologies can help communicate their value to an end client better, or help maybe remove some of the friction in in, in communication. I mean, we we've actually, uh, I mean, in terms of VR at least, we get customers that are small firms that use it because their clients don't understand plans and don't understand elevations and have a hard time understanding renderings. And for a small office, you might not be able to put the kind of monetary resources behind high-res, res, you know, realist, super realistic rendering that can maybe get to that um, same level of communication. So, um, you know, I think that's one instance. Maybe for big data, it's more about, or at least using other forms of information to um, give weight to your to your value. You know, maybe it's about innovating the the way that you communicate with the client. So, for instance, Pinterest has become a great platform 
for collecting inspirational images, right? And I'm sure there's a lot of firms out there that are starting to use Pinterest as a way to um, communicate with their client, right? Let the client kind of give their input and feedback through um, a collection of uh, images and atmosphere that they can then leverage um, in the design process. Um, things like that, I think, are, are very helpful. Um, there's there's new technologies in 3D scanning, which once the price point becomes, and I think the price point is actually getting there, um, a small firm might be able to start to do 3D scanning in an interior space uh, and walk the client through, like, this is what you're, this is what it currently looks like. This is what it can become in a way that's actually um, feasible from a monetary perspective, uh, where um, yeah, you can just kind of stitch together these different um, these different tools to enhance your workflow between a client. And I think ultimately, those the you know, no matter how what type of client you might have, these things are not in are are fundamentally in service about improving the customer experience, which for a small firm is really probably one of the things that has to be top of mind, right? I mean. Most, if I, from my understanding, most small firms also let, get most of their client work as repeat. Right. Right. So the more you can improve that customer experience, the more you can leverage these tools that are out there, like Mailchimp, newsletters. Keep your customer engaged. Tell this um, to your brand and to your mission. Uh, I think the 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 better, um, you know, the more leads you might be able to generate from that. I I would also expect that that um, the the tools that are being developed that are very expensive now and that, that are being used at the very high level at the large firms and the very core, yeah, at an enterprise level um, will, as they develop, become smaller and less expensive and technologies that will spin off of those larger technologies will come down and and they'll become part of our process in, in the future and the very probably the very near future. I mean, if you look at the... Uh, j just the iPhone as a tool uh, and how that is becoming integrated in the process of what we do on a daily basis in so many different ways, not only a communication tool, uh, but a production tool. And, and uh, uh, you know, when you're, when you're measuring a space, uh, very often the iPhone is part of that process. Mm. Um, the apps that are being developed for the iPhone uh, every day make our jobs as architects easier and easier. Um, I'd say BIM too is another technology that at one time was untouchable for small firms. Mm. And as it developed and as it grew, um, it it became more affordable and, and more specifically intended for the work that we do. And now most firms are shifting from CAD-based uh, firms to BIM-based firms. Uh, do you do you see that happening with the technology that you're involved with that, that eventually the, the technology that you're working with at, at Iris will eventually trickle down to technologies and devices that will be ubiquitous in the profession? Oh, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I think, um, especially with these headsets, these head, I mean, uh, HoloLens announced recently that, you know, their, for, um, their dev kit is now going to be, it's going to cost $3,000, which is a hefty price, which also kind of is an indicator that they're not ready for mass rollout until two years from now. Uh, because if you look at Google Glass, you know when they came out, their price point was around eighteen hundred, and we still have yet to see the second version of it released. Um, so it, it will take time. Those type of technologies will take time. But uh, I think 
technologies that are starting to leverage more mobile phones, uh, again, like the Oculus, I mean, the price point of 350 you know, that's about the, the price of a gaming con- console, uh, which many people have in their homes. Yeah, that's the cost of an iPad. That's the cost of an iPad. So it's already getting there. And I think the, the, the motivation of a large consumer brand pushing that out there is that they, they get as much adoption as possible. So it's, it's, you know, I think as long as technology stay within a certain price range of, you know, 300 and uh, below 1,000, um, it's not beyond the reach of a, uh, of a small architecture practice to be able to put that, um, you know, as an expense. What's, what's the name of that technology, that device that you just talked about? The, the Oculus Rift. The Oculus. Yeah. So, so that we talked about that before. Is, is that the piece that, I mean, is that something that you wear? Yeah, that's something that you wear. And I think the, the, the I mean, the, one of the things we always get about having to wear something on your face is, is always just the kind of social, um, uh, uh, the norm, I guess, or the how 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 weird it might feel to have to wear this thing inside yeah. of a client presentation or client meeting. Um, but I think once people actually get into the experience, they, the the actual how they look while they're wearing it uh, uh, really becomes uh, much of a non-issue because I think at that point everyone's kind of. For, they start to realize, well, we're at, we're actually doing this for the same goal, and over time, the form factor will get better, and it'll look it won't look as kind of bulky, and that will get ironed out. But um, the value is what ultimately people are going for. Right. I mean, the first the first cell phones were these big bricks. Right. Right. And they and they evolved into the most beautiful device ever, the iPhone. And so, um, I'm sure that that uh, the Oculus will do will do the same, and, and at and at a price point that's less than five hundred dollars. How how does that does that tie into uh, what what technology what software is that device using? Is that its own software, or are you tying into BIM models or what? Yeah, so it it ties. Um, I mean, at least for our solution, it's basically whatever software you have. You just take the file, you drag and drop it into our application, and we do all the heavy lifting to put it into your um, into the Oculus, um, but the Oculus itself has its own drivers and it kind of you know it has its own marketplace. So you could even use it for things like watching movies and other things like that that are not necessarily related to um, the work of the office. So if you're a small firm and you bought one, you could actually probably be using this for yourself uh, from an entertainment perspective. So it wouldn't you know there's a kind of double value there. Right, and you could write it off. And you could write it off. It's a business expense. It really is. I mean, I mean, we're 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 big firm believers in enterprise for these technologies. But when when the consumer applications are are actually, I mean, they they can be really interesting and really impactful. I think sports is one where it's just going to be insane being able to be in the stadium with your friends uh, remotely and watch a basketball game from any seat in the house but paid less than you would if you're watching it live that's possible that is completely possible and actually be able to have conversations with your friends over that is very very possible within the next couple of years um so you know you can imagine a fifa like a soccer match that has a huge crowd i mean if if uh, oculus started and and their partner started to move into that territory it would be kind of a no-brainer um and even, but but for let's say things like film, I mean, it's just kind of a completely unexplored territory. Nobody yet knows how to tell a story in VR, uh, much less let's say like a cinematic, like a blockbuster hit. It, it's just kind of 
Like no one has yet even invented what it means to cut a scene from one to another when you're completely immersed. Um, so it's just a, an amazing, amazing kind of territory for all the of all other aspects besides, um, you know, uh, what we're in, which is uh, kind of dealing with architects and engineers and construction folks. Uh, yeah. I mean that that technology is here today. I mean it's it's you can you can buy it and start using it and and uh, and it's not just a novelty. It's certainly a, a design tool and something that can be used to uh, to to improve the the architecture that you're creating. Yeah, I mean if I were if you know um, if let's say if I were back and I had started a small practice, uh, which would probably be the way. I mean that's how everyone starts. I mean I think the the interesting things that I would think about probably when trying to leverage technology is, is again, like what are those things that would help improve the way I communicate my value to an end customer? Um, we have an exercise here that we like to do where we map out uh, what's called the customer journey right, or the, the user journey. And that, that's basically, you, you can probably look this up online. Um, um, there's, there's a lot of written in terms of what's called user experience in, in designing for software, but you basically map out like what is the beginning to end process of a customer when they relate with you know when once they meet once they find out about you all the way to when they're working with you and then beyond right after they're working with you. I think this is a helpful practice that any any small firm could leverage because ultimately what you're trying to understand is empathize with your end user or your end client. And understand, well, okay, what are all the touch points along the way in which I have to interface with them? And how do I facilitate those things? The more friction you start to remove from that process between your client and, and yourself, and I think the, the more of a chance you'll get that that person will either hire you again or recommend you to someone else. And if they recommend you to someone else or if, let's say, um, you know, after you're done producing the project, figuring out the ways in which you can leverage their voice, their... Um, you know, their, um, like, as they say, testimonial to help enhance your brand out there um, is something that I, I, I see rarely. Um, but I think it's, it's those things that, ha that, that technology companies are, um, are understanding so well that can be leveraged, I think, in, in the, even in a service-based industry like the one that um, architecture is in. Um, and again, it's just the more you invest in improving the customer experience, uh, Maybe even, maybe even beyond just the design of the projects, <laughs> you could probably not. Maybe you, you, as a firm, you might not consider yourself the edgiest firm or doing the most like uh, crazy design work. But if you just focus on customer experience, you might have your success will will definitely come from that. Yeah, that's that's where the profit is. That's that without a doubt is managing the experience. Uh, is if we shifted our mindset from you know a design focused firm where the art comes first and, right. and everything else just sort of is there because it has to be because you're in business and you need to, to get paid. Uh, and we shifted it from that to, to, uh, uh, and I say profit than art, mm. you know, profit focused. And in order to be profitable, you put in all these systems and you do that exercise that you just described where what is the entire experience and really, if we shifted even beyond profit to experience, if we focus like you recommend on the experience of our client from day one, from, from the day they, they are introduced to us as a brand in a Google search, mm -hmm. 
all the way through that first meeting and those initial you know uh, design meetings all the way through development and construction and bidding and construction and then beyond construction. Um, and we're managing that experience for our clients throughout that process, leveraging the technologies that are available to us at each of those touch points. Um, we can create this amazing experience for our clients. Like, like what you're saying, George will only, it will be impossible for them to not talk about you as a firm and as a brand because they'll have just experienced this process that was so easy and fun and and smooth. And they ultimately ended up with an amazing design because you're an amazing artist. And mm-hmm. and uh, you made a lot of money because you had a syst- these systems in place. But the overall experience was fluid. Mm-hmm. And that, that experience is what leads you to the next project and to, and to more profit and more success. And, and so as a great... A great uh, suggestion that you had yeah you know and sometimes you know small practices i think probably when when people hear what i just said they might say well but i don't have i don't have resources i I don't have the time to be able to do those exercises myself i'm just one or two people um and i don't i don't have the bandwidth um i think we had talked a little bit about it in, in the previous podcast about the importance of just you know the way that that People like the people that run small offices many times can get in their own way and try to micromanage everything and try to do the entire thing because again it is it goes back to the whole thing about being the like the artistic side is somewhat all controlling right and that they don't realize that no you actually need to hire other people like if you get a project use the income from that project to actually and it sounds risky but hire someone else. Um, to then do more work for you. And uh, there's a good interview in, in, that Charlie Rose does with uh, um, Damien Hurst, where this is, I forgot what year it was in, but uh, the interview at one point, Damien Hurst talks about his, the, when he first did his first gallery, what he did with his, all his friends uh, used the money from the show to buy clothes and buy brand new you know, things. He used that money to hire someone else to produce more artwork <laughs> for him. Right? And it's, it's like you, you need to set up those processes for yourself and, and find people that you can trust to carry on the work um, so that you can do what you need to do, which is like bring in more customers, focus on these processes, um, do higher order um, level things. And I think that that is something that if, um, you know, if maybe there was more of a community around that, uh, well, where I don't know if this is something that even the AIA can help with, but if there was a, just a, more of a community around that, about those best practices, about those, how do we, how do we think about this process? Maybe even, uh, there's just so much work to be done in that area that I think if more people got together and solved those issues, um, it would be a huge help for the entire industry. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that because I'm building that right now. No, oh, perfect. <laughs> Entrepreneur Architect is that, is that platform and we're in the process of rebuilding it to, to be even, even more of what you just described. That's perfect. Yeah, it's it's exciting. Um, Just so the listeners know, I had no idea. Yeah, that was that was a that was a softball that George didn't even realize he pitched me. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah. So I, you know, this is a great conversation. I, I always love speaking with you, George, because it's always interesting to to hear about the big technologies that are happening and and what the big the big companies are doing, and and then sort of 
bring it down to our level and say, okay, well, what do, how do we benefit from that? And so it's it's great to to hear that. And uh, it's interesting how the it's it's common theme that uh, that we should be focusing on our businesses and our systems and and using these technologies to help us do that. Uh, yeah. is is uh is so important so before we wrap up is there anything else that you want to uh to share with us yeah i mean i guess you know one interesting side effect about starting to think about your own processes is that there's even opportunity in that so there it's not uncommon for technology companies that are developing one product to build their own internal tools that then get that then they start to realize. Wait a minute. Well, if we're using these tools internally, then other people will want to use these tools, and then you can actually create a business. And they just drop what they were actually focusing on in the first place and focus on that. I think As- uh, Asana is one of those companies where they they kind of built out their own tool. Um, Slack is another company that's being it's it's catching like wildfire for um, um, you know intercommunication within teams. Um, but Slack was a byproduct of a different, a completely different business. Uh, they just built it out internally, and they realized that that was a much better product to to be focusing on. So I would find it very interesting if there were architects out there that you know reinvested some of the ca- the money that they they bring in, and as they're focusing on these kind of like how do we make the bidding process faster. How can you know? Once you start to look at the, the problems that you're facing as a small owner, and you break them up into into small parts, you actually might be able to develop software around those things that you can then help other people in the community with. And you know, it's just there's so much inefficiencies that are that are that are still there that can, that can be figured out that um, that would help everyone. That that's a great way to wrap things up because and, and it's probably a great lead to the next conversation that we that we should have because I would love to have that conversation as well uh, about how we can sort of leverage the processes that we develop for our own firms into software and how do we end up you know potentially moving that software to market uh, and create a whole another revenue stream for small firms that'd be a great conversation. Yeah. Um, George, it, it's always uh, inspiring and exciting to talk to you uh, to sort of get a behind the scenes and what's happening and what's coming down the road. So thanks for being here. And thanks for, for sharing your knowledge here on the Entrepreneur Architect Podcast. Yeah, thank you so much, Mark. I look forward to, to the next one. If you like this episode and you want to leave me a review, and I would love for you to do that, entrearchitect.com slash iTunes will get you there. Or if you find yourself in iTunes looking around, just search for Entrepreneur Architect and you'll find us. But even more important than that, you know, share this episode. It's easy. Just click a link, entrearchitect.com slash episode 94. Just email it right now, entrearchitect.com slash episode 94. That is the best way to get the word out about what we're doing. And I do appreciate every single one of you sharing. I noticed last week a bunch of people sharing it on Twitter. I've seen it on Facebook. I encourage you to do that again this week, entrearchitect.com slash episode 94, and let's get the word out. Complete show notes and a download link will be uh, available on entrearchitect.com slash 94. And don't forget to send me your audio file. Share what you know. Here's the question one more time. What is the one thing that you did this year to improve your business, your leadership, or your life. 
record your answer and send it to me at support at entrearchitect.com. You know, I appreciate you for listening and for all the support and encouragement I receive from the Entree Architect community. Now it's your turn. Please send me your thoughts and share what you know. My name is Mark Arlapage, and I am an entrepreneur architect, and I want you to share what you know.
I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. One that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast. It's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.